Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Pony boy, I asked the nurse to give you this book so you could finish it. It was worth saving those kids. Their lives are worth more than mine. They have more to live for. Tell Deli it was worth it. I'm just going to miss you guys. I've been thinking about it, and that poem, that guy that wrote it, he meant you're gold when you're a kid, like green. When you're a kid, everything is new, dawn. It's just like the way you dig sunsets, pony. That's gold. Keep it that way. It's a good way to be. I want you to tell Dally to look at one. I don't think he's ever really seen a sunset. There's still a lot of good in the world. Tell Dally. I don't think he knows. Your buddy, Johnny. Good evening and welcome back to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, The Outsiders. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from my basement, as always, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. For this episode, call me Johnny so you can finally do it for me. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. I am so ready to rumble. Welcome, boys. How you guys doing? I'm doing good. Good. good We've good. actually had a couple of weeks off, so it's nice. Yeah, we have had a couple of weeks off. It didn't feel like a couple of weeks off. Yeah. It's just one show after the other. Kind of felt like a couple of weeks wait, off. But wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did I have a couple of weeks off and you guys just kept recording? See, dude, I knew he was going to put that together. Why did you say anything? I don't know. Jeez, you Louise. are trying to replace me, aren't you? No, we're not, Jill. Are you listening still? Offer still stands. Yeah, so been a couple of weeks. And where we left off was we pulled the outsiders out of the Bronco helmet. And that was submitted to us by my daughter, Elise. And she tells me that it is one of her favorite movies of all time and is easily an, uh, an easily a five. No shit. No shit. No uh, she she loves the book. Uh, she did uh, an excerpt from it uh, in school for uh, as a speech. So yeah, she really loves this shit. So yeah, she give it a five. So in other words, she shouldn't listen to the podcast then. Why are you going to shit all over the outsiders? I don't know. Am I? Probably. I'm sure you're going to find some reason for us to look at it in a way that was never meant for it to be looked at in, thus tainting it for the rest of our lives. Well, when I bring up, you know, the, the, the racism attributes and the pedophilia, so yeah. And it's not a musical. There is that, too. It needed some music. Yeah, well, it actually, it had music. Well, singing. It had singing in the beginning. Stevie Wonder. And that's all you need, motherfucker. Okay. So, Yeah. The Outsiders, released on March 25th, 1983. It was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Screenplay by Kathleen Roll. 
and it was based on the book The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. It stars C. Thomas Howell, Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Diane Lane, Emilio Estevez, Tom Cruise, and Leif Garrett. Is it Leif or Leif? I, uh, Leif, maybe? I Leif probably Leif sounds Garrett. more... I think it's Leif. Now, I want to talk about this screenplay by this Kathleen person. I read somewhere, I don't know if you guys read this too, she had nothing to do with writing the screenplay. That there was a writer's strike going on during this time, and because of that, I think they said either Francis Ford Coppola or someone else really wrote the screenplay, but couldn't put their name on it because they weren't part of the Writers Guild. So they had to put this other person's name on it because they were a member of the Writers Guild. So Kathleen Roll did write a, a draft of this script and Francis Ford Coppola threw it out. And because of the writer's strike, they couldn't have anyone else write it. So he landed up writing it. And yeah, you're right. He couldn't get writing credit for it because he wasn't part of the guild. And, and I guess uh, S.E. Hinton was very close to this production. Um, she was on set. She even uh, mentions that she, uh, you know, talked to the cast about their characters, this, that, and the other. So she was really involved, too. Do you know what the cast called her? Mom. Mom. I thought that was really cute. Yeah. And that they all, I mean, they all fell in love with her. She fell in love with all the kids. You know, it's not so, you don't hear so often that an author loves the movie, the final version. They usually come out and say they want to separate themselves from it, that it wasn't good. It wasn't true to their product. She's only ever spoke good things about this movie. Yeah. Did you know what age she was when she wrote the book, Outsiders? 13? She was 15 years old. 15? When she started writing it. Yeah, she finished it at 16 and had it published at 17. Yeah, well, there you go. And it was funny, uh, growing up and reading the book and seeing the movie, I never knew that Essie Hinton was a woman. Me neither. Yeah, it wasn't until, I don't know, not so long ago that I found out that she was a woman. And I was like, oh, wow, look at that. I never knew. All this time, she never knew she was a woman. Yeah, well, I mean. Ken, did you read the book? In high school. Yeah, I don't think I ever read the book. No? No. Uh, Did you guys see it when it came out? No. No, I didn't see it when it came out, but I think I saw it shortly after that. Yeah, I I, I definitely caught it on VHS as well. Yeah. How'd this movie do, Don? Uh, This movie was made for $10 million, and it brought in $34 million. So not too bad. Not too bad. Um, Yeah, so apparently there is a school in, I think, New Jersey, uh, and they read the book, and they actually took a vote on who they thought should direct it, and they all put Francis Ford Coppola. And so they mailed it to Coppola's people or to Francis himself, and he read it, and... That's how he came to direct The Outsiders. I just thought that was a really cool story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same, I guess, kind of similar story of how we got the extra version, which I guess is called the the novel version, or what's it called? The complete novel. The complete novel well, is that uh, fans of the original movie wanted it to be more true to the book, and originally the 30 or 40 minutes they cut out, that the the producers cut out, um, got put back in because of fans begging for it and his own daughter granddaughter granddaughter yeah. granddaughter yeah. wanted in yeah the granddaughter's class mm-hmm. and so you know she said hey my grandpa can do it <laughs> so yeah we got the complete novel and i gotta say right off the bat sorry mr coppola not a fan so not a fan of the movie or of the complete novel version oh 
Yeah. Uh, we, it's usually the other way around. People aren't fans of the earlier version and are more fans of the one that's closer to the book. Well, I think it really depends on the movie. But, you, you know, typically. Yeah, maybe. Because um, I remember, uh, I think we were watching it and... It was uh, the first time Elise had seen it. And I kept thinking, I knew the musical cues. I knew what was coming next. And sometimes uh, the scene would feel like it was taking longer. And then the music was just really felt out of place. And I said, wait a minute, this isn't right. And I had to look it up on what we had rented it on. And it said the complete novel. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And for the, and for the longest time, we couldn't find the theatrical version. But we did, in fact, find it. And we have it. And so, I mean, yeah. I wasn't a big fan when I first saw it. Now, it sounds like you guys watched the theatrical version. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure what I watched. <laughs> he was on his phone. And, well, and, building, and building Legos. Well, see, you're not supposed to admit that because all you're doing is just pissing me off. Is that is that how you want to start, bud? Pretty much, yeah. Got to get you fired up. Got to poke the tiger. Oh, fuck this guy. All right, Professor, let's talk about The Outsiders a little bit. This movie launched... Uh, all of their careers. I would, much, I would almost it. call this a legendary cast. There was only, what, one big star in the entire cast, and he dies early in the movie. Yeah, well, and the big star at the time, looking back on it now and looking at who these other ones become, he was no star. <laughs> well, he, <laughs> you he know. was famous pop singer, and yeah, well, no, he had done I know, a few movies. You know, I know who Leif, or Leif Garrett was, and yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, but yeah, this cast... You know what I mean? Patrick Swayze goes on to be fucking a monster 80s action hero. Tom you know? Cruise. Well, then there's Tom Cruise, who becomes the biggest star in the world. Uh, Rob Lowe. Starts his career here. Yeah. Uh, C. Thomas Howell. Ralph Macchio, the Karate Kid himself. Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon. And uh, Emilio Estevez, 2-Bit. Yeah. And Diane Lane. You can't forget Diane Lane. And if you think mm -hmm. about all the movies that they've all been in together since, like cross movies you know you got red dawn that some of them were in together uh just so many other movies now i do have uh, a piece of information here the famous movie poster for the outsiders yeah where you know that everyone knows kind of they're all looking in and if several of them are laughing and ralph macchio kind of has a straight face Is you it? know the story behind that poster yeah they were in the photo shoot and someone was walking toward the food table and one of the stagehands looks at that person and says this food is for the talent only and then later or whatever, Leif Garrett comes up and wants to get from the food table. And Macho looks over and says, excuse me, this is for the talent only. Made everybody crack up. They took the picture and that's our poster. Exactly. That yeah. is the story. Crazy. Let's talk a little bit about Francis Ford Coppola. Coming into this movie, he is a very well-respected director. He is pretty much owning the 70s. You've got him doing The Godfather. The conversation was a very... Very popular movie at the time. It doesn't hold up as much now. It's really dated. Mm -hmm. But uh, after that, then you have uh, The Great Gatsby, Godfather 2, and Apocalypse Now. And then uh, getting into the 80s, it ended up kind of sort of being this dearth for him. He had uh, only a couple of successes in the 80s. And The Outsiders was one of them. And, and then the only other success that he had was Peggy Sue Got Married. And then during this time in the 80s, uh, he, he had this colossal clunker. It was, what was it? Um, one from the heart. It grossed like $600,000, and the budget was $25 million. Wow. And he ended up, uh, his own company ended up 
filing for bankruptcy in 1990, but he had to sell his uh, his movie studio back in 83, and so he spends all of his time in the 80s just paying off his debts. And then when we get into the 90s, he has a little bit of success. In 1990, you have Godfather 3, you have Bram Stoker's Dracula, and then you also had uh, some limited success with The Rainmaker in 1997. And so I... I, I I feel like that um, this movie marks sort of the beginning of his, I don't want to say downfall, but this is definitely a turning point in his career that he never recovers from. But, uh, you know, to, to go back to the talent a little bit, this is a really unique movie that people always focus on because when you talk about a, a cast of new people, it is not unusual. Oh, this was a, an early breakout role for this person. To have so many crossovers, I, I really can't think of another movie where you have so many people that have gone on to have a successful Hollywood career from all of the major talent in it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think this was like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Or yeah. it Maybe. I would be surprised if we see something like this happen, happen again in our lifetime where you have all relatively newcomers that all go on to have a successful Hollywood career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you can take any of these actors, pair them up, and I'm sure there's a movie out there, you know what I mean, that they've been in together and that you've seen. Mm-hmm. So and, and, and are known for iconic roles, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, and it, it's funny to go back and watch them in, 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 this, in these roles. Certainly. You know, you look at Tom Cruise and who he is today, yeah. and then, you know... This in this movie, his his first movie, he's a he's a greaser, and you know doesn't. You, when you see him, you don't see Tom Cruise as you see him today. When you talk about Tom Cruise, I felt the same way about Tom Cruise in the movie Taps, that I didn't seem like a typical Tom Cruise role to me, and I didn't see him in that movie until it was pointed out. It's yeah. fucking beautiful. <laughs> I got to be honest, boys. It's been a minute since I've seen Taps, but I know he's in it. Um. Quick trivia, who are the two oldest cast members? Patrick Swayze and Ralph Macchio. I know, isn't that crazy that Ralph Macchio, who plays a 16-year-old in this movie, mm-hmm. was 20 years old at the time of filming. And so I guess that's why he didn't get along very well with C. Thomas Howell, because he was so young. He, I think he was 14 or 15, when, 15. The movie, 15, 15 when the movie was made. And they were supposed to pal around, but a 20-year-old doesn't want to pal around with a 15-year-old. And I think, what, Patrick Swayze was 29 at 29. the time? That's yeah. just crazy. So, and looking at some of these other roles, I did stumble across a, a, a little nugget of information. Emilio Estevez is written and is and has directed a movie that is coming out this summer, 2022. Do you know what that movie is? Young Guns 4? Mighty Ducks 5? It's Young Guns 3. It's actually called Guns 3. So, yeah, this summer you get to look for Guns 3, alias Billy the Kid. Oh, right did, did you know this or did you just guess? I just guessed. Wow. And and so it, it also has Lou Diamond Phillips in it. Yes. Nice. Yes, but he was carried off by the spirit horse at the end of the second one. And he I was healed. All I know is that he is a cast member. That's awesome. So, well, now maybe he can really play Billy at 94 years old or however old he was at the, or at the first or the second one. So, yeah, I, I got to say that I have a bizarre sense of curiosity to go see it regardless of what it's being, you know, how it comes out. You know what I mean? Agreed. A hundred percent. 
Who was your uh, favorite greaser? It's a really good question. For uh, when I first saw it, uh, it would have had to have been Derry because uh, he reminded me of my brother Eric. And then, you know, as I get older and I start watching it more and, and it starts to grow on me, I think uh, Pony Boy for sure is in there. I mean, Johnny, you know, Johnny uh, is really a good kid at heart. He's just, he's got a, he had a rough break, you know. He's got parents that don't give a shit about him. Dallas, Dallas was cool. He's a little hot-headed, whatever. But yeah, I think after Daryl, I'm going to say it was fucking 2-Bit. I, was gonna, I like 2-Bit a lot. Except for one scene I got to lean towards two bits. And I guess for Emilio Estevez, the whole Mickey Mouse thing was his idea. Yeah, yeah, I heard that too. What about you? Who's your favorite greaser? Johnny all the way. Yeah. Solid choice. 100% solid choice. What about you? Johnny would be my second. Two bit, I think, was my first. Uh, Just because the the crazy antics and all that that he does throughout the movie. Yeah. One thing I was going to ask you about in this movie is, do you think napkins and utensils were not invented in 1965? It's pretty funny how their faces look pretty sloppy, but then I thought, you know what? The camera's rolling, and he didn't change it. Why? Because they're because they're boys. Well, that's a good point. Because Ford uh, Francis Ford Coppola told them early on, and then we'll talk about this later on. He told them, no matter what, whatever happens in the scene, you keep going, and you just keep going with it. Yep. So there was something that happened later on that they just went with it, and it worked in the movie. Um, but I'm just thinking, you know, here they are. They always got something sloppy on their face, or like. Emilio Estevez, when he gets the cake, he just eats it with his hands. And I, I was watching another podcast, and I thought they did a great job of or bringing up the fact maybe that's what the grease was in their hair. That you know, instead of using napkins, they just wiped their hands on their hair. Well, Soda Pop and Steve worked at a gas station, so I'm pretty sure getting grease wasn't a problem for these guys. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. So, in 1965, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Greasers Ponyboy Curtis and his brothers Derry and Soda Pop, as well as Johnny, Dallas, Tupit, and Steve hang out. Their rivals are the Sochas, wealthier kids from the other side of town. The Curtis brothers live together, with Derry taking on a parental role because their parents died in an accident. One night, Ponyboy, Johnny, and Dally go to the drive-in where Dallas tries to hit on Cherry. After Dally leaves, Cherry and her friend Marsha invite Ponyboy and Johnny to sit with them. Later, the boys walk the girls home when their boyfriends Bob and Randy confront them. Johnny recognizes Bob as the Sosha who beat him up. The girls defuse the situation by going home with the Soshas. So one thing that I was looking up some information about the differences between the book and the movie versions, I guess the book goes into more information about the past and what happened with the Curtis brothers, I guess their parents died in a car accident and that Derry, one of the reasons why he's so stressed out and he's so angry all the time is he's struggling to try to keep custody of his two brothers. Yeah. So that's kind of the background story. And I think we get enough of that from the movie. You can kind of figure out pretty early on that this is a guy who's been put into a parental role. So he's just stressed out. Oh yeah. No, you get that right away from this. Um, so we are introduced to these three characters and I think right away we get um we get who they are. They're the greasers. What I do like is how they early on set up that you get a feel for they're not all the same. They're not they don't all act the same, they don't all want the same thing. You get the idea that Pony Boy just kind of wants to be accepted and just wants to live his life normal, maybe move on to other things. Uh, Johnny, 
he's a nervous wreck because of a fight he was previously in. That's why he's got the scar on his face. Uh, I did read that in an extended version, we find out, or at least maybe in the book, that that Bob was the one that actually gave him the scar on his cheek from a ring on his finger. Yeah, well, they tell us that in the movie, Well, too. they just said he got into a fight and he got the, the scar, but it was actually Bob that did it. I've, I've always known it was Bob. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I read was that the essay that he's writing was actually an assignment from school. And was that in the theatrical version that they talk about? Because nope. they said in either the book or the theatrical or the novelization version, a guidance counselor, a teacher visits Pony Boy at one point to see how his essay is going. Yeah, it's at the end. Is that the end? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of the greasers? Uh, I, I like the greasers. They were good. I was, uh, I was a little, uh, offset by the intro the uh the stay gold song by stevie wonder it did not fit for me at all changed the tone of what i thought the movie was supposed to be about and it was it was perplexing to me why that song was included because it's out of context and i hadn't read the book in oh what it's been more than a couple of years for sure right? High school. Mm -hmm. So having this song be in there, it just completely uh, changed the tone of what the movie is going to be. And so I was curious why it had it like that. And uh, the, uh, um, the real feeling starts to come when we see the kids meeting up and they're chain smoking and then we see them sneaking into the drive-in. And now I am beginning to see who they are. And the intro, I, I get the the essay part, right? This is this is a telling of you know this is the essay, right? right. Th that we're going to be watching. So I, I get that, and I I enjoyed the uh, the essence of what we got out of each one of these three characters when we are at the drive through with them. So they're going to the movies and they sneak into the drive in, and this is also where we see. Uh the socials we're supposed to be focusing on, you know, as they're walking by, the camera will stay on Diane Lane's character and Leif's, uh, Leif Garrett's character having an argument, but the camera will keep moving past them because uh, they just want us to get a glimpse of that. Well, here's right? the question. I know and probably you're going to say it doesn't make a difference. She runs from the car saying that she doesn't want to do that. She doesn't, you know, he says, just try it. Was he trying to get her to drink alcohol or do you think he was trying to get her to do something else? I didn't care. You didn't care? It didn't make a difference? Yeah. Mm -mm. Okay. Because I think that that's a common occurrence. Who knows what's going on, but that's a common occurrence, uh, you know, at the drive-in. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, yeah. It could be it could be drugs. It could be sex. It, it you know. Could be both. Could be so, both. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Well, I was just thinking that, you know, she kind of runs from him, runs to, you know, Pony Boy and Johnny, and is getting harassed by uh, Dally. Well, Dallas. actually, the guys sit down after the girls yeah i'm just saying though she gets harassed by him so she's just having a rough night yeah 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 uh and and dolly is relentless it's almost uncomfortable but right? johnny stands up to him absolutely and just at the moment where you think it's going to really get uncomfortable johnny stands up to him you know and and dallas dallas loves johnny mm -hmm. right and so i think that's why he accepts it but yeah dallas kind of comes on as a dick <laughs> it's who he is yeah yeah. I thought it was interesting. It was a line that I didn't really catch right away. I might, I don't know if I had to rewind it or not. But later on, Cherry makes a comment about uh, staying away from him. Otherwise, she might fall in love with him. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of a clever little thing they snuck in. Yeah, that's uh, as they're walking. 
mm-hmm. uh, back in, in just a few minutes here. So Dallas harasses Cherry. Cherry tells him off, and then Dallas leaves. And then she immediately turns around and uh, yells at Pony Boy. You know, are you going to start in with us too? And he was like, no. You know, and th- and that's how they kind of spark up a conversation. And uh, then the girls ask Johnny and Pony Boy to come sit with them. And this is where we meet Two Bit. Emilio Estevez in his Mickey Mouse shirt. And he, when he first pulls up the skirt of the girl, and you get an impression of who he is. Oh yeah, he's an asshole. He's I just, mean, he's he's a delinquent. That's what the greasers were, mm-hmm. right? So, and he just fits that role. He yeah, just it seemed to work. Yeah, and you know what gets me about Emilio Estevez, and and this is goes for any Emilio Estevez movie. It's his laugh. Mm-hmm. His laugh is contagious. When he starts laughing, I start giggling because it's so funny to me. Mm-hmm. So he does it great. Young Guns as well. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, we meet two bit and then, uh, the, the movie wraps up and then they're walking home and the four of them are walking together and they seem to be having a nice enough evening. Conversation is flowing. And this is a glimpse at these two different worlds that this story is revolving around. Well, it's interesting when the socials pull up in the car and to confront the greasers and to try to get Cherry to come in the car. Did you notice that two bits goes from zero to 10 just in a second. That's probably one of my top scenes is when he goes, uh, Randy goes, we got two more in the back seat. And uh, two bits says, pity the back seat, breaks the bottle, hands it to Pony, Pony Boy, Boy, and whips out the butterfly knife. Oh, it's fucking so good. I just, boom. I mean, it just shows you again who two bits is and what's happened to him over time. I mean, he is ready to fight at a second's notice. Yeah, they all are. You know, that that's how that was back then mm-hmm. for these guys. So. You know, but then Cherry's like, no, 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 I want to fight. And then this is where we get a shot of Johnny looking at Bob's rings, you know, and, and we've already been told that he got jumped and a guy with rings beat him up as Cherry and Ponyboy were talking, right. right? So right there, I knew it was Bob, right? I didn't have to be told. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ralph Macchio does such a great job of turning away because he's so scared, mm-hmm. right? And he's this big bag greaser, but he's he's fucking terrified. You know, and you think shit's going to hit the fan, but it doesn't. Cherry de-escalates it, tells him to go with them. And then she says something to Pony, like, you know, if I see you and if I see you at school on Monday or whatever, and I don't say nothing, don't take it personally. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, how do you not take that personally? It took me right back to the breakfast club. Totally, right? <laughs> so, yeah, now naturally the girls defuse the situation and everybody leaves, right? So they're walking home. It's two bit pony boy and johnny and uh they get to kind of close to johnny's house you can hear johnny's parents uh and yelling and screaming you make at each up other. what was happening in the window it's like are they are they fighting are they having sex that you know what was going on in that window yeah. it, was, it was hard to tell yeah kind of <laughs> well, I, I guess the book goes into more detail that his parents are always fighting and he actually lives in a very abusive home where they hit him all the time so that's one of the reasons why Johnny, again, is such a nervous wreck, is not only is his whole life outside of his house constantly worried about getting beat up, but when he gets home, he gets beat up. Yeah, yeah. So and, it just and, makes and, sense. And Yeah, and they explain that to us. Um, but this is where one of those unforeseen things happens. Two-Bit uh, and Johnny and Pony are walking through, and then uh they, the production had high wind fans going on because it's supposed to be windy at. And one of the cameramen or one of the crew lost their hat and it rolled into frame. And Emilio Estevez looks down and goes, oh, look, a hat and picks it up, puts it on. 
And Coppola left it. Doesn't in the he film. say something like, "Now I have a hat"? Yeah, he says, "Now I have a hat." Uh, but this is also when you know we hear Johnny's parents, and Johnny goes up to the door and then runs out, and he tells Pony Boy, "Come on, come to the lot with me. My parents are fighting. I don't want to go home yet." And so they go, and they build a campfire, and they start talking, and we get uh, kind of how close Pony and Johnny are. They're really good buddies, and um, they fall asleep. And this is where we get a dream sequence. I guess from Pony Boy, and we see. Oh, he's talking about the country because Johnny's all bummed out because his life sucks, and he, you know, wants to go somewhere where he's never been, or who he wants to go somewhere where no one knows him. And Pony Boy says it's out. It's like that out, like in the country. Well, I think he says he wants to go somewhere no, where nobody hates greasers. There's no greasers or socials, and they said it was like that in the country. Yeah, yeah, which is basically what I just said. And oh, I said so, it um. They fall asleep, and this is where we find out that uh, Pony Boy's parents were killed in a car accident, we assume. So he wakes up, and then, uh, you know, Pony Boy even says, oh, Derry's going to kill me, his big brother. And he rushes off home, and Johnny uh, continues to sleep. Uh, what do you think about the campfire scene? The campfire scene, I thought, was the attempt to have uh, a connection with these characters that is not necessarily just about aggression and fighting and, and, and more to the point of it's okay to have hopes and dreams. But I, I found the dialogue to be clunky. It didn't flow. Uh, it, it didn't feel, uh, I don't want to say aesthetic, but it, it didn't flow smoothly. And it's it's these kinds of moments in the movie that the movie doesn't feel like a movie. It feels more like I'm watching a play that the movie is based on. Do you know what I mean? Kind of. And, and so it, it, it doesn't have a strong theatrical uh, experience for me because I feel like that it's not, it's not based as a movie. It's, like I said, it comes across as something else. Like I said, like, like a stage production. I felt kind of like this scene really set up Johnny not to be a character in the movie, but to be more of a plot point, if that makes sense. That like the movie was going to, you know, it was focused on, you know, Pony Boy, but really it was uh, Johnny, you know, him interacting with Johnny and what happens to Johnny and all of Johnny's hopes and dreams and all that was going to be kind of the direction the movie was going in. Did, huh. you, did you feel that way at all? That maybe he'd become <laughs> no. like this plot point of, because he brings up that he wants to go somewhere where, you know, he can be free and he, he has these dreams that he wants to do and he's got this nervous tick that, you know, he just is afraid of everything and his home life is horrible. And it's just, it's kind of like something for our main character, Pony Boy, to focus on. Huh. Interesting. I, I also think that part of the reason why this probably, in my opinion, comes across as being, uh, a little clunky is because this is based on S.E. Hinton's book. And I am confident that this is direct, directly from the book. S.E. Hinton, she wrote this book because she feels at the time that there is not uh, an accurate representation of young people and how young people talk and feel and think. And as a result of this, she took the courageous move to try to represent that in doing so 
it's never been done before. And having teenagers talk about insecurities and hopes and dreams had not necessarily been a prevalent story arc before. And to have it happen early in a movie like this, I think is probably why it just didn't come across as, uh, as it could today. Did you also get the feeling that they kind of hint at that for both of them, each of them are a crutch to each other, that they can't exist without the other one. That's kind of, you know, like what would Johnny be if he didn't have pony boy? No, I I didn't get that. I feel like, you know, Johnny would just fall apart without him. Interesting. And pony boy, you know, that's the person that's closest to his age. That's the person that he relies on when he decides he wants to run away that's who he runs to first. Well, that's his best friend. Yeah, that's what he, I'm saying. He, so it's like he can't exist without him. He couldn't just run away. He had to run away with Johnny. Because he wanted his best friend with him. Yeah. So you're saying that anyone who has a best friend, that best friend is a crutch? No, I'm just, I didn't. Maybe crutch isn't the right word. I'm just saying that the two of them exist together. They need each other. Okay. Wait, I'm a crutch to you guys? Apparently. I want to be the left crutch, though. You're the right crutch. All right. Right, and you're the third crutch. When Ponyboy arrives home, Derry yells at and hits him, causing Ponyboy to run away. Ponyboy fetches Johnny and goes to a park. They are confronted by Bob and Randy and three other socias who chase and attack them. They beat up Johnny and try to drown Ponyboy in a fountain. Ponyboy passes out, and when he comes to, he sees Johnny holding a blood-stained switchblade and muttering about killing Bob whose body is nearby while the rest have fled. Ponyboy and Johnny go see Dally, who advise them to go to Rendricksville to lay low. He gives them money for food and a loaded gun to protect themselves. Johnny and Ponyboy hop onto a cargo train and take refuge in an abandoned church. They cut their hair and Ponyboy bleaches his. To pass time, the boys play poker and read. After a few days, Dally arrives with the news that Cherry has offered to support the boys in court and that he told the police that Johnny and Ponyboy were in Texas. He gives Ponyboy a note from Soda asking Ponyboy to come home. Johnny says that they have to turn themselves in, but Dally disagrees. When the boys return to the church, they find the building on fire with children trapped inside. They rescue the kids, but Johnny suffers a broken back and severe burns. Ponyboy reunites with his brothers Johnny is charged with manslaughter for killing Bob while Ponyboy may be sent to a boy's home. An interesting note on this home life. I guess there was more story about, you know, the other two Curtis brothers that we really didn't get that we got more of in the book. You know, obviously the oldest brother is, again, we, we talked about, is just trying to keep custody of his brother. We didn't get much about Soda Pop throughout the movie, did we? No, not really. We get What we get from Soda Pop is that he works at a gas station and... He's dropping out of school. Uh, I guess in the book they talk about more. There's a letter when we when we see Soda Pop, I, Soda Pop around this scene that's sitting on the table. And earlier on in the book, he talks about this girlfriend that he has that he's been with for a long time and he's going to marry someday. The letter on the table is revealing to him that his it's basically a Dear John letter. His girlfriend has fled town with a guy that she got preg- impregnated by. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that letter is in the, I think it's in the end of the film. I don't think it makes it into the Oh, does it make it in later? Yeah. I I guess. I think it's in the novel version, but yeah. I guess um, uh, Rob Lowe asked the author what happens to his character after the book. Did you ever hear about that? Yeah, he goes to jail and dies. 
Oh, no, that's not what I read. Wait, hang on. He does die. Oh, no, no, no. He gets drafted, goes to Vietnam, and dies. And dies in Vietnam. Yeah. So how'd you like to find that about your character? I, when I read that, I laughed out loud. <laughs> Why did you laugh? Because I'm thinking, oh, man, that's such a bummer for Soda Pop. Oh, I thought that was a bummer, the way his story just kind of ends like yeah. that, the Curtis brothers. Yeah. Ponyboy goes home. Daryl, Derry gets all pissed off at him, and they all start fighting. And then it's when Soda Pop tries to stick up for... Uh, pony boy that uh pony boy or dairy yells at soda pop and then pony boy yells at dairy and dairy turns around and hits him does he hit him or does he more push he him? pushes him he didn't really hit him yeah yeah and so uh pony boy takes off and finds johnny in the lot and he runs to his best friend or to his crutch i guess and he uh <laughs> they have to run away I want to bring up the fact, what do you think, uh, obviously the drowning and all that, did you think he was really going to drown him? Or do you think he was just, you know, joking or funning him? Basically being a bully and. Um, yeah, I thought they were going to drown him. Did you? Yeah. I thought they unintentionally might drown him, but I don't think they were really trying to kill him. Yeah, well, you that's because you would relate more with the Soch. No. So um, I could see why you you would think that. But no, I, th- I thought for sure they were going to kill him. And what kind of, uh, what I thought for years and years and years is, you know how after they catch him and they're dunking him and when Leif Garrett's Bob is pouring liquor on him, I'm thinking, oh, they're going to tell the cops that he got drunk and drowned. Right, that's where my head went. That's what I was sort of thinking. Yeah, and and I, uh, you know, they they take they pull Johnny aside. They start beating him up. They tell him to stay down, and then you know Johnny pulls out his switchblade, and you hear it click, and it snaps out, and you know that now that this ain't gonna be good. So, what'd you think of that transition effect of the red kind of over? I dug it. Did you? I, I thought it was fine. For you know? its time, I think it worked. Yeah. You didn't like it? It looked very fakish to me. It just you it, know, they could have done a better job with red on the water, not just this red kind of in the air. I think so, huh? Yeah. I just I did How dare you criticize Sir Francis Ford Coppola? Hey, we all make mistakes. Ugh. They don't. He made the Godfather. I will say that this scene and some of the earlier scenes, as someone who grew up bullied all the time by like like the same group of bullies. Um, I mean, they terrorized my life growing up. I can understand where Johnny was kind of with his nervous tick and, you know, getting, you know, teamed up on by multiple people. There's not much you can do. There's not much you can fight back. Um, the one thing I thought of was interesting is if you're sitting on top of a jungle gym and you've got a group of guys coming at you who are literally just, what, three, four feet away from you, probably best not to insult them and spit on them and try to run away especially when you smoke a pack a day you're not gonna get away no yeah but i mean but you're not gonna back down either because you're you know defending your turf you're defending yeah. being a greaser i i think you know they were all not i don't want to say they deserved an ass kicking but they were asking for it because Ooh. they could have defused it some other way you think it would have ended up in a fight either way yeah I don't think it would have ended up in a fight. So the socials just wanted to go talk? Is that They, they might have harassed him. They might have pushed him around. I don't think they would have thrown him in the fountain if he hadn't spit on him. I, is he really sticking up for the socials I'm right now? I'm not sticking up. I'm saying, though, well, it's you know, sometimes best you know, for... Con- he sides with the machines. I'm saying conflict resolution 
could have probably handled it a little bit better. So a couple of 15-year-olds. Well, at least some of them are 16 because they drive, right? But still, some drunk high school kids are going to be rational enough to for conflict resolution? I don't, like I said, I don't think it would have escalated to that point. We don't know, you know, I guess, you know, Johnny was beaten up pretty bad before, so we don't know what led to that. But do you think it would have really led up to them trying to drown the kid if he hadn't spit on him? Absolutely. They were okay. going to beat the shit out of this kid. That was their whole fucking goal. I, I don't know. You don't know if that was their goal? Just to, to beat them up for no reason? I mean, yes, they hated you, them. Yeah, okay, well, that's your reason. Okay. So I thought that the montage, the death montage, it came across as a little awkward, but I totally dug the camera work right afterwards as he comes back into consciousness, and we see uh, we see Bob laying on the ground behind him. That was, that was a really, really strong camera work. A bit as he comes back into consciousness. Yeah, uh, I felt that the that transition was very Francis Ford Coppola. It just felt like something he would do. Um, but yeah, when we come back and Johnny's sitting there shivering, and uh, uh, Pony Boy is regaining consciousness, we see Bob. Uh, I always liked the bit where you know uh, Johnny's telling him, "I killed him, I killed him," and then uh, Pony Boy says, "I'm going to be sick," and Johnny says, "Go ahead, man. I'm not going to look at you." Even in this moment of sheer terror, really, for this poor kid, yeah. he has, you know, he he loves Pony Boy so much, he's not going to, you know, make him feel embarrassed for having to get sick. Right. He's very courteous, that Johnny Cade. So. I did like, too, the fact that we didn't have to see the killing, that we get that kind of jump from, you know, him under the water going black, that blood, you know, that red blood, and then. We jump to the scene of Bob's already dead. There was no point in showing us the killing. Yeah, we didn't no. need to see Johnny do something like that. No, no, no. It, it, that was that was a very um, well. That was a good choice. Yeah, it's deliberate. If mm-hmm. we see that happen, then we are not going to be on Johnny's side as much. Mm-hmm. Now they flee to Dallas. So where where would you go if you just killed somebody? right over here i'd go see dallas and that's what they do so dallas lives at a bar is that what's going on i think on? he lives on the upstairs bit of it that's yeah. what it's kind of funny that he's walking around the bar without a shirt on yeah earlier on in the movie we're given the impression that dallas is just a dick he's a jerk he you know harasses the woman later on when they're walking home or walking somewhere across this field he chases some kids i mean he he just seems like a jerk right here you get the impression he actually cares about these two kids, especially oh, yeah. Johnny. No, oh, 100%. And, and immediately he doesn't question. They basically said, you know, Johnny killed somebody. He doesn't question. He's like, okay, here's what we're going to do, A, B, and C. Let's get it done. And he hands him a gun, hands him, go to this church. Here's the location. This is where you're going to find food. He he takes care of them right away. He knows what to do. Yeah. Well, uh, Pony Boy even says it. He says it to Cherry. He says he's not that bad if you know him. Mm-hmm. And they know him. So, I mean, I thought this, I really enjoyed this scene when they go to Dallas for help. Oh, I, I agree. The, the, uh, it's a good scene. And then it shows them hopping the train. Mm-hmm. And well, before that, I just want to bring up this whole thing with Dallas that I was kind of getting at was if you think about the movie after you've seen it, Dallas later on talks about how, you know, Johnny was stupid and you never care about anybody. It's only about you and blah, blah, blah. But right here, he's showing that he cares about these two kids. And I think that's why what happens to Johnny really affects him. Because his whole point of his whole mantra of his life is not caring about anybody. So that way you never get hurt. Well, he cared about Johnny, got hurt, and it leads to his unfortunate downfall. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. 
So they find this abandoned church and, uh, you know, they go in and immediately they fall out because they're probably fucking exhausted. They, you know, had a crazy, crazy day. I imagined it was only like 500 feet away, but because they smoke so much, they're just out of breath. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and they just collapse. Yeah. And uh, Pony Boy wakes up. Uh, Johnny left, went to go get some supplies, comes back. Uh, and then we kind of get the uh, the montage of them, you know, spending the time away. Well, before that, the whole thing with the hair, that they have to, you know, cut their hair and they dye, they bleach, basically, Pony Boy's hair. I thought it was unfair that they had, they bleached and cut Pony Boy's hair. And then Ralph Macchio, Johnny, they just cut it a little bit. Like, he still looks the same. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought that was kind of weird, too. Did you guys remember the scene when they're standing in front of the water and you see the reflection and it's upside down? Yeah. I think he flips the camera upside down to show us that their world is upside down at the moment. Here's my question, and I honestly don't know the answer to this. They bring up the fact of they start reading the book here. Ponyboy starts reading Gone with the Wind to Johnny. Mm -hmm. Why do you think they chose Gone with the Wind? Because uh, Ponyboy said he'd always wanted to read it. Is that the whole thing? I thought that maybe there was some symbolism, some meaning behind it that they chose specifically. Because when they're standing outside and they have that sunset, uh, that scene right there reminded me of a scene from Gone with the Wind. Yeah, it was shot the same, or it looked the same. Yeah, the, with the sun, it was the sun. It was the sunset. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, <laughs> it was the sunset. I didn't know if it had to do with you know Gone with the Wind being during you know a wartime, you know some kind of abandonment things. I don't know. I was trying to figure out if there was some kind of symbolism. You know, authors tend to put things into their books for a specific reason. It's meant to be there. I wonder why she chose Gone with the Wind. Uh, maybe she was a fan at 15. Because, yeah. I mean, two boys, is you think that's the book they would pick, Gone with the Wind? Well, it was a blockbuster movie back in those times are you saying that boys can't read gone with the wind no i'm just wondering i'm thinking they would pick you know an action they would pick don quixote they would pick you know man in the iron mask something like that i wouldn't think that they would pick a movie or a book like gone with the wind that's like you know they definitely i mean if they want to read little women fine but i'm just saying it doesn't seem like a book that two greaser boys would want to read well that's why they picked it okay because they're not, they're not your two normal greaser boys, and I never gave it a second thought. I didn't question no. it either. Okay, yeah. I just look for deeper meaning in these kind of things. And you hang out with us, and it's not always there. Uh, and you hang out. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead us. and say ninety percent of it's not there, but that's all right. Okay, that's just me. So it's been a couple of days, and they are. Uh, it was a sunrise. It was a sunrise, right? Yeah. They, yeah. yeah. He talks about how pretty the sunrise is. Yeah, and that's where we get the poem. You know, nothing stays gold. Right. Um, and he tries to explain it to Johnny or Johnny really likes it for some reason or, or whatever, but we'll, we'll come back to that. And, um, and then Dallas shows up and, and it was four days later he showed up. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, Dallas shows up, uh, gives, uh, pony boy a letter, you know, and go get some food. I think it was the letter was written by soda pop. Yep. Uh, soda pop wrote him a letter and I, and I always liked the voiceover of this scene and, well, you've probably done something to fuck it up again, you know, because we're awfully worried about you, blah, 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 come home. And then they go get something to eat. They take off, leave the uh, church for a while, and they go get barbecue, and they start talking about a rumble. There's going to be a rumble between the socials and the greasers. And um, Now, you already knew 
You know, it'd been so long I couldn't remember where certain points of the movie were going, like or how this movie ended. But when he read the letter and said that Cherry was going to stand up for them in court, uh-huh. did you believe she was going to do that, or do you think that was just a plot of Cherry and them, like maybe her family, to get them to come home? Oh, I believed it a hundred percent. Did you? I uh, did too. I questioned it because you know Cherry seemed afraid to stand up to her friends and you know acknowledge them even in the hallways in school. Um, I wondered if she was being pushed to do that okay but the way dallas described in detail about how she thought that the socias were initiating the fight yeah. and they were getting carried away yeah. i even thought that maybe she was going to stand up for but maybe when they got home she was going to back down i just questioned it i, I again i look at too much in the movies you're giving me these eyes and they're not googly eyes no uh so they go get something to eat did you know who that little girl was that walks up to him and asks him for money not at the time. I read about it later on. Sophia Coppola. Yeah, the daughter of the director. Pretty sure it's Academy Award winning Sophia Coppola. So we get back to the uh, abandoned church, which is not abandoned. There's a bunch of people there at the church. Oh, yeah. And the church is on fire. So they pull up to the fire and immediately Pony Boy jumps out and heads toward the burning church. And Johnny follows and Dallas is all pissed off. You know, so uh, they go in, they uh, save some kids, and all the while, Johnny uh, gets hurt, and then Dallas has to go save Johnny, goes into the, um, the goes burning, into, burning go, building, goes into the burning building, and then I really appreciated this cut. Uh, the roof completely collapses, and then we cut to the ambulance, right? But before all that, what the fuck were what these kids doing? A. Right? What the fuck were they doing in a burning church? What the fuck are those grown-ups doing just standing there? Whoa, 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 Better whoa, yet, whoa, whoa, why whoa. the fuck is there a school bus of kids? Is, was this a field trip? A field trip to an abandoned building. You two are parents. Would you guys sign off for, oh, hey, we, we want to take your kids to a burned-out, broken-down, you know, tetanus-filled church area. Would you sign on that? Absolutely. In 1965, I would. Fuck yeah. Just to get the kids out of the house? Fuck yeah. Apparently You know what? I'd do it now. You know what I mean? You know what, guys? Go to a fucking abandoned church. Um, Yeah, no, but see, here's the thing. I I don't buy that it was the place where they were. I, I don't buy it was the destination. Um. They must have been on a field trip or something, and someone said, oh, stop. Or someone or said, stop. Broke down. Or maybe the bus broke down. But you would think they would have popped the hood and shown us that maybe. But Maybe the, somebody had to use the bathroom. You can go in an abandoned What? I don't know. But what are they doing there? That is just ridiculous. And how did so many children end up in the building? Oh, my God. How There were like 18 kids in there. They had to go save them what all. What the fuck is going on with those grownups that are responsible for the kids? They're back just, in the bus in an hour. Yeah, they're just standing outside watching the shit burn. I might have blinked at some point, but I didn't even realize the first time I watched this that that was the same church. Because I was thinking, why the hell would they go to that church? I couldn't understand it. Yeah, well, I guess it kind of did look different from the outside, but yeah. yeah. It looks what really, the fuck were they doing there? It looked really different on fire, that's for sure. What well, the, oh. well, here's my other thought, too. When I figured out it was the actual church you know, that they were hiding out in and that the fire was going on. There was a scene earlier on that Johnny had a cigarette in his hand. He started falling asleep. And I think 
Pony Boy made some comment about what do you want to burn us down or you want to burn you know burn this place down something like that. I was wondering with all the cigarettes that they smoke throughout the whole thing that maybe later on one of them had dropped a cigarette, put it out, but it kept smoldering. Do you think that's maybe what started the fire? Because how else would a fire start out in that church in the middle of nowhere? Kids carrying matches? Lightning strike. There'd be uh, no. There was a clear day. Forest fire somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if the little ones were smoking their own cigarettes. The little since ones. Those, since uh, those the, chaperones were so out of it. And that one, uh, the fucking chaperone who rides with Pony Boy, he smokes. Could have been his fault. You know what? You're right. In a town where they would take kids to a burned out, broken down church as a field trip, I bet you those kids had reasons to smoke. Unfucking believable. What the fuck were they doing there? That, yeah. 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 So and because they were there, uh, one of our favorite characters gets badly injured. So we're we are at the hospital, and it turns out that Johnny is very very seriously injured, and we have soda pop. He looks really rough. His his pony boy. Yeah, he looks really rough, and uh, and we don't get to see Dallas right away, but. Uh, it was some seriously, seriously bad shit that they ended up with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then we get the uh, uh, the reunion of the brothers, and you know, uh, uh, Pony Boy sitting there uh, covered in soot and looking like shit, and Soda Pop walks in, and you know, there's that reunion, and immediately all is forgiven between Derry and Pony Boy. You know what I mean? They're just so happy to see that. Uh, that pony's alive and he's okay and so it's that moment where that family kind of becomes whole again yeah the three-way hug yeah 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 i thought it looked kind of hammy maybe a little bit god you don't have a fucking heart either what's wrong with well, you i actually you know thought that was moving so i did oh my god i don't know what to fucking do with either of you these days what the fuck is wrong with both of you oh for fuck's sakes you know what i'm They're calling it we're actors. done good night ladies and gentlemen They're young these actors. two uh, fuck faces just get on my nerves bob's death sparks calls from the socias for a rumble on the day of the rumble randy tells pony boy he wants no part of it later on pony boy and two-bit visit johnny in the hospital cherry visits pony boy to talk about court she tells him she does not want to visit Johnny at the hospital because he killed Bob. Later that night, the Greasers win the Rumble. Afterwards, Dally drives an injured pony boy to the hospital to visit Johnny. They enter Johnny's hospital room to tell him about the Greasers' victory, but he is unimpressed and dies after telling pony boy to stay gold. Unable to bear Johnny's death, Dally wanders through the hospital. He robs a grocery store but is shot and wounded by the owner. With the police after him, Dally calls Derry and tells him to meet him in the park to hide. But the police get there first and surround Dally. Unwilling to live any longer, Dally commits suicide by cop, pointing his empty gun at them, and they respond by shooting him dead. The movie closes as it began, with Pony Boy writing The Outsiders. Roll credits. What'd you think of this scene with Randy... Talking to Pony Boy. What'd you make of that scene? Um, I liked it. I, I thought that Randy was trying to make sense of it all. I mean, his friend or best friend, who knows, just got murdered. And uh, but he knew at the same time that they were being assholes. And he knows that you know what he's telling Pony is that none of this is gonna make a difference, right? You guys might beat the shit out of us, but we're still the rich kids and you're still not. You know, so it's not gonna change anything. 
But I think that Pony says it the best when Tubit asks him what that was about. He goes, it was just a guy wanting to talk to another guy, you know, and, and that's kind of what I got out of it. Yes, and, and that that is what this scene is giving us, that these two people, they are people. They are not greasers or socias. They are people. Yeah, I got the impression, and I was kind of hoping it was maybe going this way, that this was almost a glimpse of, glimpse of where their lives were going in that maybe after this, the whole beef between the social and the greasers was going to fade away and people were going to start seeing people. Um, that maybe this was the end of it because people were tired of the fighting. They were tired of it. And they were also like Randy, I felt, you know, he talks about why'd you run into the building? You know, I wouldn't have run in the building. He would have been too scared to run in there. That now he's seeing that they're more than just these guys with greasy hairs and no money, that they're actually people. So I thought maybe you know, without with Bob gone and with them seeing the greasers in a new light, that maybe this was a brighter future. Yeah, maybe it was. Why so you, bright. Why you got to piss on it? So, so bright. My optimism. I'm finally like having yeah. some optimism here and just pissing all over it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And yeah, he just wanted someone to talk to that wouldn't make fun of him. Mm-hmm. And that's what he tells Pony. And I guess people think that they can talk to Pony Boy because Cherry talks to him and Randy talks to him. Pony Boy's pretty fucking popular because yeah. he's the dreamer of the, of the bunch. Right. Well, apparently in the book they talk about, he's also the smartest. We kind of get the sense of that just yeah. the way pony boy talks i just felt like at this point that maybe pony boy was the bridge to kind of connect the two groups no you don't see him maybe down the road him and cherry dayton nope okay Mm-mm. not at all i think nothing changes and it goes on okay. life just goes on that's what happened in 1965 so mm-hmm. yeah. that's what i thought too so pony boy is home and uh two bit and stevie show up uh two bit and steve show up and steve and soda gotta go to work Derry's really reluctant about leaving uh pony by himself but two bit says you know i'll hang out with them and this is where you get your chocolate cake and uh so they and, go and the mickey mouse show comes on oh yeah that's right uh and two, two bits gets all excited and goes and parks himself in front of the tv yeah uh, uh chocolate cake and beer that's another reason why i just love him just because it's you know he's such a crazy fanatic but something simple as mickey mouse just gives him joy yeah for sure for so, sure so you know watching this movie today i don't think that it would have been uh taken this way if i had watched it back when it came out in you know in the 80s but watching it today you know, when the guys are all together, joshing with each other at the house and all those times, it, to me, had a slightly homoerotic undercurrent to it. They just seemed so friendly with each other. Wow. Yep. Like wow. I said, watching it today, it's just like, I don't think it's supposed to be like that, but it's not. Well, something inside you triggered that, and I think that might be a... Why are you so judgy? Well, I'm not. I'm. Can I get to my point? Yes, please. Uh, something inside of you triggered that emotion and that feeling, so maybe there's some unspoken emotions that you haven't dealt with yourself personally. Professor, are you ready to see his head explode? No. The, the Don's head explode? Because... I was thinking similar to what you were thinking, just didn't want to bring it up because I knew it would pop a vein over here, was there was a little bit of homoerotic tension, I thought, between Pony Boy and Johnny. I thought maybe they kind of had a little thing going that they were a little little closer than normal. Again, that just shows you where your headspace is at and that where that I'm questions of it. No, that you even thought of it. It wasn't there. It wasn't meant to be there. 
nothing in that uh, performance suggested it, but the fact that you thought of it meant you are dealing with some unresolved feelings as well. So let's talk about this, you two. I think. Is there, is there anything you want to know? Is it? Or is there something that you two want to tell me? I think we're just more open than he is. Why? Because I didn't see it. Yeah, because you're not accepting of it. So because I didn't see it, I'm not accepting of it. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't even take it into consideration. Why should I have taken it into consideration? I don't think the story was meant to come across like that. But in today's society, I am looking at how they were portrayed when they're all, you know, joking around with each other. And Rob Lowe, he's getting out of the shower. And it's just like, huh. Hmm. Yeah, I don't even know how to respond to that. So. The Rumble. Should we talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about the Rumble for a minute. What, this took like two weeks to film, I guess? Yeah. You know what bothered me most about this scene? The rain. Why didn't you like the rain? Because it felt really forced. There is a video on YouTube where Francis Ford Coppola talks about the scene because he said it was his favorite scene to film and that the rain was on purpose. And I, if you look at it and you think about it, you get what he's kind of saying, is that having the rain kind of in the background, first of all, you could focus more on the actual fight. It almost framed the fight a bit. And second of all, it distracted you from seeing just how far away people's fists were from other people's faces. You didn't focus on how fake the fighting looked. You looked at the rain and the mud and the falling, and you didn't pay as much attention to the actual fight. Did you? I, I think I agree with him. I didn't fo- I focused on everything that was going on instead of focusing on every single punch that was thrown. <laughs> so I, I agree. I think he accomplished what he was going for. Okay. It's awesome. What, what about you? Um, I, I thought it was, it's probably my favorite scene in the uh, movie uh, opening from when they leave the house and, you know, Patrick Swayze and Tom Cruise are doing all their gymnastics and they're walking to as a gang and they get there. And I really love the bit where the head Soch walks up and faces off with uh, Daryl. And, you know, they kind of they go back and forth and uh, Shepard from the other gang looks at Tubit and goes, what's the deal? And he says, well, they used to be buddies. You know what I mean? And it, and it also reminds me of a line that Tubit says to uh, Pony Boy, which I think is one of my favorite lines, is he says, uh, you know, uh, the only thing that keeps Derry from being a Soch is us. And I just thought that was, you know, it showed how much love and loyalty that Derry has, you know, to who he is and to who his family is and his friends and all this. Uh, but he could be. He could be a Soch if he wanted to. So, um yeah, I really dug the fucking rumble. I think it's great. The first punch thrown was to to Pony Boy. Real punch. It was a real punch, and apparently it knocked him out. Yeah, out cold. And did you know that Tom Cruise had to get uh, dental surgery after the rumble? Yeah, because uh, because of all the rain and that it was so cold, um, a lot of people were actually accidentally connecting and yeah he got connected to the face and had to have dental work done yeah and so the real reason for the rain was because they filmed it over a two-week span sometimes it rained sometimes it didn't i heard on the so first, they had to keep it uh continuity wise i heard too that the first day that they were filming it rained so that's another reason why they brought it in so the the greasers land up winning the rumble and then dallas uh takes pony and they uh they want to go to the hospital right away and tell Johnny what happened. You know, they get to the hospital and Johnny's in bad shape and 
They tell him they, that they won the rumble. That they won the rumble, and then uh, Johnny dies. I mean, he he tells Pony to come close to him, and he tells him to stay gold. I do want to jump back to an earlier scene that I think we skipped over, which was before they go to the rumble and they go to visit Dallas in the hospital. Um, and when they're talking to him, you know, and they're talking about how bad Johnny's doing and all that, Dallas makes the comment of let's do it for Johnny. Did you feel like that scene was a little bit overacted? Nope. No, that seems like to be one of the most like quoted besides stay gold, um, which actually seems to get misquoted a lot. Everyone always says stay golden, but it's actually stay gold. Um, it just felt like that line right there, Matt and Dylan, you know, it was the one scene that felt overacted to me in the whole movie. Yeah. Well, to me, it comes across as what I was referring to earlier. It plays more like a play than it does as a movie. Hmm. Yeah, I can see it in that instance. Yeah. Yeah. He, more he's, dramatic. He's certainly dramatic about it. Yeah. That is for sure. But I thought it fit because um, I really dig uh, Carmen Coppola's score that he does throughout the entire film. You know, so. Uh, this is a good, this is a good okay. moment. So getting back to, you said, you know, this is the point where Johnny dies. Um, what do you feel about that death scene? What do you feel about that? Well, you, you kind of had to know it was coming and it's a bummer that he does die. And, you know, Dallas, Dallas can't handle it. He's, he's going to snap. Right. Yeah. And so he takes off. Um, he, before he like, he holds the gun up to the doctor's face. Yeah, well, which is crazy. Leaving. You know, why do you do any good? I think it doesn't say something like that. Why do you help people? Yeah, it doesn't do any good. Yeah, yeah. But he's distraught, man. He just he just lost someone that he really cared about. After saying, you know, you can't care about anything but yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, but mm-hmm. um, so yeah, he takes off. Uh, Pony goes home, and uh, they have. Uh, he walks in, and you know, again, he doesn't tell Derry where he went. So you know, Derry kind of comes off a little a little standoffish, but then he recognizes this is what got us into this mess in the first place. So he calms down and then he, he sees that something's wrong with pony and he says, what's wrong. And he tells him that Johnny's died and, uh, it, everything just kind of slows down at that moment for them. And in the meantime, doesn't he also say something about, and, and, uh, Dallas, Dallas has lost his mind. He's well, going he crazy. Just, he just said he's going to burst. Yeah. Right. Um, but they don't know where Dallas is. Uh, so Dallas is in a, uh, convenience store, seven 11 or something, uh, looking at magazines, starts ripping them, holds up the gas station. Um, and then he, uh, robs it and runs out and gets shot. He gets shot in the version that you watched with him running out of the convenience store. Did you see the convenience store owner shoot him? I know he was shooting the gun, but I didn't see him get hit. They say if, you know, from the reviews that I've read, and the plot we were reading, he got shot as he was running out before he even got to the cops. Yeah. I didn't see that, did you? So it is it is put together for us because as he's fleeing the store, the, the, uh, the clerk has his own gun and he fires off three shots and Dallas is not that far away. He gets to the payphone, he makes the phone call, and after he leaves the payphone, we see a smear of blood where mm. he was standing. I didn't, yeah. I don't think I caught that, but I guess also, I, and I didn't catch this, but I guess also Johnny's name was scratched into that payphone. Yeah. Saying that he had been there. Yeah. Yeah. The clerk does get Dallas and he is shot and he calls, uh, 
Daryl. He calls Derry for help, and they're going to meet at the park. And as they're running, you know, uh, Dallas is running. The cops are chasing him. The boys are running after him. You know, Dallas pulls out a gun, and we know it's not loaded. And he knows it's not loaded, but the cops don't know it's not loaded. And the cops of the older days when they don't need to say, you know, put, you know, put your hands up or, or, or stop. Right. right? Shoot first, ask questions later. And make sure you shoot like seven or eight or nine times. Oh yeah. They really lay into him, don't they? Well, he, I mean, he obviously knew he was going to get shot at that point. Yeah. So it was what they call death by cop, which is, or suicide by cop because he knew he was going to get shot. Did you know that he improvised that final line? You got you can't take or you're not going to take me alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, he, if we were going to talk about an overacted scene by Matt Dillon, I think it's his death when he's on the ground and he's looking up at him and he's kind of giving him the the Marlon Brando wave of the hand and puts it on his forehead and just, it looks like he's trying to think and then he just slumps over. So if 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 Matt Dillon overacted uh, in this movie, I think personally it's at this scene here. I I'll, I'll agree with you that that did seem it, but I have to say the scene where he is interacting with the doctor and all that was some of his best acting in the movie. Oh, when he uh, holds up the gun to him, yeah, and he's like, "Why do you help people?" and blah blah blah. I thought he did an amazing job there. I mean, better than I've seen in most movies he's been in. Yeah, I mean it's two lines, but okay. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. I just thought he just did a, a great job there. Yeah. They end up killing him. And then we make a transition and we are ending the movie like we began. And uh, Pony Boy finds the letter from Johnny, which I thought was a nice touch. And uh, he reads it and it, you know, it's just telling him to stay gold, really. And, you know, help Dally out because he's not going to be around to help him out anymore. Little does he know that he's dead. But obviously he, he knew him well enough to know that he was going to flip out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, that's when the movie ends. All right, so what do you think? Should we rate this bitch? Let's rate this bitch. Uh, Professor, how do we rate our movies? We rate our movies on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that is cinematic gold. You're ready to watch that anytime. One fuck is a movie where you see it and you have no desire to see it again. Nope, I'm done with that. One and done. And what's a zero? Zero... That's a movie where you don't give a fuck. Whoever made me watch this movie, you owe me two hours of my life back. All right. That is our fuck scale. And, um, well, I guess it was my daughter that put this into the Bronco helmet. So you go first. Will do. I couldn't think of anything else snappy to say. That was good. I like that. Uh, The Outsiders. I remember seeing it. Way back when on VHS, I remember the impact it made on me. I remember uh, how I felt when I saw it. I remember how I felt when the rumble happened, when Johnny died. Just the entire story to me was um, nearly perfect. Uh, The cast, I mean, what can you say about the cast? They go on to become such big names. One of them goes on to become one of the biggest Hollywood stars ever. Uh, the story is solid. The direction is solid. I think that the soundtrack is 100% solid. I know that both of you didn't uh, 
appreciate the Stevie Wonder song in the beginning just because of the feel. But for me, when I think of The Outsiders, that's one of the first things that pops into my head is that song and the way it opens and it kind of just draws us in on a light, you know, um, a, a light feel. And then it slams us down into reality of what it's like to be a greaser in the 1960s. Now, what I don't like about it, and there's really not much, is um, like we discuss the ch- uh, the kids going to the church. I don't understand how they get there. The rain kind of throws me off every once in a while. Uh, but what really drove me nuts uh, more than anything is that Francis Ford Coppola had to go back and tinker with it. And granted some of the scenes that he added are good uh, i consider them fluff with really only one scene to speak of but the biggest thing that he did and if you guys ever get a chance and you want to watch the novel version you'll know what i'm talking about but the biggest thing that he did was he changed the soundtrack and the soundtrack is completely different it makes it a completely different movie for me I think where moments of this film really work is when we get that undertone of the Stevie Wonder song playing as a theme through certain scenes. I think the the film is very powerful then. I love this film. And I think that because I love this film, I was able to pass on that love to Elise. And now she loves that film. And, and so this, this film will always have a special place in my heart because this will be considered one of uh, mine and Elise's movies. Right. So uh, for that reason, I'm going to give the outsiders a solid 4.75 fucks. Wow. And Elise played no part in uh, helping that rating. No, no. I love the movie first. Okay. So quit trying to look into things that aren't there. Who wants to fucking go next? Now I'm in a bad mood. I'll go. Okay. You go. So, The Outsiders, this is a movie that I have not seen before because I racked my brain and did any of it feel familiar? None of it felt familiar. So, I I am highly confident that this is the first time I've seen the movie. I don't remember anything about the story. I read the story back in high school and I remember nothing about it. So, watching this movie coming in, I thought that it would be a pretty good movie. And in general, I thought that the movie was good. I don't have any experiences in this movie that make me say, wow, this is awesome. There are some good scenes to it, and I appreciate our characters in the movie. What we get between Ponyboy and Johnny, I totally dug. Those two characters work well, and they are strong together. And I uh, especially appreciated Ralph Macchio in particular. I got to say, I totally felt for him when he is in the hospital and he's laying on his stomach and we see his uh, tattered skin and we listen to his, uh, his, his voice while he is uh, explaining about the, uh, the things that he still wanted to do in life. I, I totally felt for him there. In general, I thought that it was funny to watch Tom Cruise on screen because he is so un Tom Cruise at this time. But at the same time, that's Tom Cruise. That's Tom Cruise. That's Tom Cruise. And so it was a distraction to me somewhat to have him in the movie just because that's Tom Cruise. But to see him not being Tom Cruise and just being this this goofy kid, uh, okay, 
it, it sort of works for me. But for the most part, I, I thought that the strongest part of this story was when we have uh, Pony Boy and Johnny not in the city and they are out on their own. Dally, he was okay, but um, I didn't necessarily get to embrace his story arc in how he is so angry about everything and where he's at in life. I understand what he's trying to represent, and perhaps it's, it is fleshed out more fully in the novel to read it because, you know, there are so many more subtle points that are brought out in a book. But I didn't necessarily feel like that these characters were fleshed out as fully as I wanted them to be. The movie, for me, I, I think that it's a, a good movie, but it does feel dated. And I also thought that, as I stated earlier, it didn't necessarily feel like a movie. I felt like it was something other than a movie, like, like a, a, a play or a, a production of some sort. For the most part, I am willing to watch the movie again. I don't know when I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to give this movie 2.5 fucks. 2.5 fucks from the professor. So that would make it my turn now? I suppose if I have to listen to you, then go. First of all, the cast is phenomenal. I thought, I mean, it's amazing that, you know, Francis Ford Coppola was able to find these specific actors to play in this movie who, as Don, you said, that went on to just have amazing careers. Um, I mean, we are seeing them early, early on knowing what they went on to become. Ralph Macchio, uh, I thought he did an amazing job as Johnny. In fact, even today, he goes back and he says this was one of his, I mean, this is his favorite role he's ever had because he connects the most with Johnny. Um, and you can see that in the way he portrays this character. He just did a remarkable job. Now, one of the things I really appreciate about this movie, and I know you don't agree with me, Don, but this movie was able to take certain characters and not only have them have their own individual stories going on and their own psychology of issues going on, but also use them as plot devices to drive the story in the direction it was going. Johnny, a lot of the stuff that happened to him in this movie and a lot of stuff that happened before this movie and just his whole life in general really led the direction of this. I mean, it was him, you know, stabbing Bob that caused the rumble it was him, you know, his, what happened to him in the fight that really got the greasers excited about this rumble and wanted to go do it for Johnny. You know, everything that seemed to happen centered around what was going on in Johnny's life. You know, Dallas being so connected to Johnny affected what happened to his story in the end and how he went out. So, again, I know they're characters and I know they're all, you know, in, you know, script to be a specific way in a movie but i also felt that they were the driving factors of the plot devices in this movie so i appreciate and and that's one of the things i you know deeper things i look at it's one of the things i really appreciated about this movie i also appreciated and and i didn't read the book in high school i never had a chance to read the book now i kind of want to go back and read the book um but i appreciate in this movie professor you had talked about how it felt like a play like it was actually something that people were acting out as a play and very dramatic I felt like it was somebody reading a story to me. And the first thought I had in my head was, um, it almost felt like the wonder years. Like someone was narrating a story to us and each of the characters was playing out what the narrator was telling us. It just felt like a storybook. And in fact, 
I liked the flow of this movie in, in that it didn't seem to drag in parts. I didn't feel like any scene was too long, you know, a little too excessive. You know, I didn't feel bored in any part. I actually appreciated the story and the flow of it. Is this my favorite movie? I wouldn't say so. But I would also say that this is not a movie that I'm against rewatching. In fact, you know, I know you talk about, Don, that you don't like when people fuck with a movie. With a great movie, there's no re- reason to go back and change it. I kind of want to go and see the theatrical, or I mean the, uh, the novel version now. I want to actually see that version. I want to compare the two. And if this movie came on TV and I was flipping through the channels and I saw that it was on, I probably would finish it. Wherever point is at, I'd probably watch it and finish it because it's an enjoyable movie. It's enjoyable to see these cast, you know, this young Tom Cruise. And by God, you know, I have a wife upstairs, but by God was Tom Cruise sculpted in that beginning early scenes. I mean, he had a six pack. He, you know, if I was going to play for the other side, damn. But anyway, I digress. Going back, um, this movie has some rewatchability. This movie casted well this movie great flow great storyline i like the direction it was going in um originally when i first started watching it it had been a long time when i first started watching it i thought oh this is a movie i could easily you know watch or not watch probably about a 2.5 when i got through it and started thinking about it and started kind of doing my analyzation of a movie and, and looking at the point i decided you know i started thinking this isn't a movie I could go back and watch and enjoy again and again. So for that reason, I see this as a solid 3.75 Fox. All right. So 3.75 fucks from the comic book guy, 2.5 fucks from the professor and a solid 4.75 fucks from me. Now comes the time in the podcast when we would select our next movie. Lucky for us, our movie has already been chosen next week. We will be joined Next week, we will be joined by a special guest. Bellamy is a friend of the show and a filmmaker as well. And Bellamy has selected the 2019 coming-of-age buddy comedy, Booksmart. So make sure to check us out for that review. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I just want to thank everybody who listens to us, especially Zach, Ronnie, and Jill. Uh, Keep listening. We'll keep putting them out there. Hey, John, where can they find us? As always, they can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we tend to post our notes from each show, as well as movie trivia, and a submission form where you can go ahead and submit a movie you would like us to review next. You can also find us on the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. You know, We throw ourselves out there everywhere. We would love a like or a comment or subscribe. Go ahead and check out those sites. You can find us on, on all of the various uh, podcasting hosting sites, iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam. We have thrown ourselves up on all of those. Again, if you check it out, subscribe. We need to build up those numbers. We'd also like to have your help sharing our podcast so we can get more listeners out there. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. I'm Don. I'm Johnny. And I'm Ken. Stay gold. Well, I'm fucking impressed that you remembered the fucks. Because I wrote it down by where my review stuff was. Yeah, good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. Because you were waiting on it, weren't you? Oh, I'm always waiting on it.
happens like cross movies you know you got red dawn that some of them were in together uh just so many other movies yeah which ones you're an asshole am i I don't even know what to fucking say. I don't even know what to fucking say anymore. You're giving me those fuck this guy eyes. No, it's not so much fuck this guy as it's fuck. Can you just watch the fucking movie? Paul Newman. All I could think about was Paul Newman and a ride home. And that's where it ends. Now, the scene where you're just talking about with the brothers hugging, did that feel homoerotic at all to you? Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, fuck off. Good night.